Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Chris Jimerson, Minister for Program Development here at the church, and I have with me Bill Phillips, your lay leader this morning. And I also bring you greetings from our senior minister, Meg Barnhouse. Um, She sends you love, and she sends you greetings. I also want to welcome our visitors here this morning. We're so glad you're here, and we hope that you will join us for coffee and conversation in Housen Hall after the service. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person, and it's in that tradition that I invite you to turn to the people around you and greet the holy among us this morning. It is also our tradition in Unitarian Universalist churches to start our services by lighting a chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. Please say with me our words for lighting the chalice, which are located in your order of service. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Our call to worship this morning is titled, Put Away the Pressures of the World, by Erica A. Hewitt. As we enter into worship, put away the pressures of the world that asked us to perform, to take up masks, to put on brave fronts, silence the voices that ask us to be perfect. This is a community of compassion and welcoming. We do not have to do anything to earn the love contained within these walls. We do not have to be braver, smarter, stronger, better than we are in this moment to belong here with us. We only have to bring the gift of our body, no matter how able, of our seeking mind, no matter how busy, of our animal heart, no matter how broken. Bring all that we are and all that we love to this hour together. Let us worship together. Unitarian Universalism is a faith without creed. There's no set of beliefs that we all have to sign on to. So sometimes we get asked, well, if you don't all believe in the same thing, then what holds you together? Well, I think there's a lot that holds us together. And in this church, we have a set of religious values that we discerned. And out of those values grew our mission. It's our common purpose. We put it on our wall and we say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Our meditation reading this morning is titled, A Time to Be Silent, by David O. Rankin. There must be a time when we cease speaking, to be fully present with ourselves. There must be a time when we exclude clamor by listening to nothing whatsoever. There must be a time when we forego our plans as if we had no plans at all. There must be a time when we abandon conceits 
and tap into a deeper wisdom. There must be a time when we stop striving and find the peace within. This is the time in our service when we breathe together. Breathing together, feeling one another's compassionate presence around us, we enter into a time of silence together. We follow our breath to that wiser, deeper place inside, that place of calmness, that place of great love. Remembering that the sounds of small children and human sounds are a part of all that is sacred in this church, we breathe together and we enter into that time of silence together. I invite you now to light candles in our window, candles of joy, sorrow, remembrance, hope. Many years ago, my spouse Wayne and I were both working with a nonprofit organization that was a part of the American Foundation for AIDS Research, or AMFAR, HIV Clinical Trials Network. In 1994, we held our annual AMFAR meeting at a big hotel in Newport Beach, California. After the first day of the meeting, we had a nice dinner and an opening night party, and then we all went off to our rooms to get some rest. Wayne and I were staying on one of the top floors of the building. At around 4.30 a.m. the next morning, the building started shaking violently. I anchored myself in bed, holding tight to one edge of it until the shaking stopped, at which point the building commenced swaying back and forth, something that felt most unnatural for a building to be doing. Foolishly, I got up and looked out the window. The water in the pool far below was splashing out of each side of it. It looked to be about half empty. Terrified, I dashed back into the room. We had just experienced the Northridge earthquake, the epicenter of which was less than 60 miles away from where we were staying. Well, after the swaying had finally stopped and we settled down and calmed down a little, we decided to try to go back to bed to get some sleep when suddenly a speaker on the wall in our room blared to life and the very young-sounding voice of who I assumed was the night manager came over it. Ladies and gentlemen, we have just experienced an earthquake. Thanks, I had missed that somehow. Don't panic. I wasn't until he came on. Then there was this clicking sound, which I was guessing was him thinking he was turning the microphone off. And then we hear from a little further away. So what do we do now? We found out the next day that one of the other meeting attendees had indeed panicked, bolting from his bed, wearing nothing but his underwear, and out the door of his room, which slammed shut behind him. He dashed across the hallway right into a mirror that was on the wall opposite his room, breaking the glass with his forehead. And so that's how it came to be that he found himself dressed in only his skivvies, locked out of his room with his forehead bleeding. Now, the moral of this story is... Stress and anxiety can make us do really stupid stuff. 
They can also be bad for our health, even when we don't run around half-naked wearing nothing but our underwear and bust our forehead in a mirror. The terms stress and anxiety are interrelated. They can cause very similar effects on our behavior, health, and mental status. They are not exactly the same, though. Stress is normally thought of as an acute reaction to external events or situations in our lives. Anxiety is an internal state rooted in fear that can exist with or without such external stressors. In common everyday language, though, we often say something like, I am feeling really stressed out when what we're actually feeling is anxiety, whether or not it's in reaction to an external stressor. Family systems theory is a field in psychology and psychiatry that looks at how entire human systems, families, communities, Churches, nations, whole systems can get really stressed out. Anxiety can fill up the system. The entire system can start to do really stupid stuff. And we, as members of the system, can pass that anxiety around to one another, causing it to spread through the system like a virus. The longer the anxiety lasts, the more chronic it becomes, the more it can hold us back and do us harm, both as individuals and to our families, churches, or communities. And my beloveds, we are living in a highly stressful, anxiety-provoking time period. We face potentially devastating consequences from global climate change and, speaking of doing stupid stuff, Trump just withdrew us from the global climate pact. Kavfifi indeed. We are witnessing terrorism. We are experiencing increased hate crimes and violence. No matter what our political outlook, the divisiveness and polarizations we are seeing at the state and national level cause anxiety for folks of all political persuasions. I know many folks in this church have recently gotten more involved in political activism than ever before, moved to action by fears of growing authoritarianism and harmful public policy being enacted. It's wonderful that so many of our folks are living out their highest human values in the public and political arena. Yet doing so can also stress us out. It can be hard to keep up with all the rallies, petitions, town meetings, and other actions. It's kind of scary to call up the office of a politician when we know that politician is going to disagree with us. I've talked with so many of you who have expressed how difficult it can be to balance all this political stuff with the demands of life and family and just paying attention to our own needs for physical and mental well-being. And all of this is in addition to the normal stressors of our day-to-day lives, jobs, bills, overloaded schedules, and the like. Now, Peter Steinke is a renowned congregational consultant who applies family systems theory to churches. Listen to some of the things he lists as potentially being the most anxiety-provoking for a religious community. Strife or conflict at the denominational level. Check. Large decreases or increases in attendance or worship. We've had an average of about 40 more folks attending on Sundays since the election. Check. The unexpected absence of a minister or other key leadership. Check. 
building construction or renovation. Tech, ladies and gentlemen, don't panic. Joking aside, we are experiencing a lot of things that can make us fearful and anxious. And as I mentioned earlier, a chronic state of anxiety can cause us harm. As individuals, it can cause ill health effects too numerous to mention them all. But some examples include things like premature heart disease, mental health problems, infertility, and immune suppression. It can also impede our memory, decision-making, and general ability to function effectively. In our families and congregation, anxiety can result in getting stuck where we avoid making the tough decisions and lose our ability to respond creatively as a group. We can lose sight of our mission. It can lead to the formation of factions and infighting. It can result in fake fights and highly emotional responses that are greatly out of proportion to whatever the stressor might be. In one church, lots and lots of angry email messages were sent expressing great upset over the fact that the church secretary used the term worship associate instead of lay leader in one Sunday bulletin. That was a fake fight. What was really going on was that folks had anxiety because a new minister was making larger changes to how they did worship overall. Okay. We know anxiety can have these ill effects and that we currently have all these potential sources of anxiety. So like my friend said over the speaker in that hotel, so what do we do now? I'm going to share some of what we can do, but I first want to offer the caveat that I'm not seeing all that much and and really not much at all of anxious reactivity going on in our church right now. So I'm offering the following as tools to be available to us should we need them. At the congregational level, there are several healthy ways we can handle anxiety and help keep its level lower. We have in place, for instance, structures and systems like our covenant of healthy relations and our conflict resolution procedure. These and other resources are available to us on the church website. We also try to make clear what the lines of authority and accountability are. So, for example, our senior minister, Meg, has asked me to serve as acting senior minister during her sabbatical so that folks will know who to take matters to that they might have normally brought to Meg. Now, another thing we can do is use I statements. I statements when having important discussions in the church. Now, these are statements in which I clearly label my point of view as what I think, rather than expressing my worldview as a fact of nature to which, of course, any reasonable person would naturally have to agree. We can also help prevent the spread of anxiety within the church system by avoiding what's called triangulation. Now, some of you may have heard of this, but I'm going to give you an example. First, though, I have to pause for the following disclaimer. The persons and events in this triangulation example are entirely fictional. Any resemblance to actual persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Okay, so now, triangulation is when Tommy is upset with Walter because Walter was supposed to give him a ride to church last Sunday, and Walter completely forgot and never showed up. So this Sunday, Tommy comes in, sees Walter getting coffee in the fellowship hall, but instead of talking directly with Walter, he goes to Susie and says, I'm so mad at Walter, I could spit. He was supposed to give me a ride last Sunday, and he never showed up. Could you go tell him how rude that was and make him come apologize to me? Now, family systems theory would translate all of this kind of like this. 
Hi, Susie, have some of my anxiety. (laughs) Susie can avoid being triangulated by refusing to take on that anxiety and saying something like, wow, that sounds like you really need to talk to Walter. Want me to walk over there with you? Now, what Dr. Stanky and other family system folks will tell you, though, is that the number one thing we can all do to most greatly lower the anxiety in our family, community, or church is to work on lowering our own anxiety as individuals. We do that through a process called self-differentiation. Self-differentiation is when we get to know ourselves and our own patterns very deeply. We define what our own highest values and beliefs are, and we identify activities, practices that are calming and centering for us and get disciplined about engaging in such practices. By doing all of this, we can become a more non-anxious present when we interact with others in whatever the system might be. Now, being a non-anxious presence doesn't mean that we will never feel anxiety. It just means that we've identified our own unconscious responses to anxiety, our patterns and emotional reactions, so that we can make these patterns conscious to ourselves when they are happening. This then allows us to make calmer and healthier choices if we need to. Many of our patterns grow out of the fight, flight, or freeze response embedded in the deeper and more ancient parts of our brain. And none of these are necessarily bad. Any of them might be quite useful depending on what predator or other threat our ancestors might have encountered. It's when we're not aware of them that they can be the wrong choice for the situation. So... If you're one of the folks that's been engaging in constant political resistance like I was talking about earlier and you're feeling a little stressed out and in need of taking flight from it all for a while, if you're feeling the urge to escape by, as our choir sang earlier, wanting to rock and roll all night and party every day, metaphorically speaking, of course, that's okay at least for a while. Just make it your conscious choice and know it may not be the healthiest thing for you to be doing as a way of life. One of the things our unconscious flight, fight, flight, and freeze responses can do is to kind of disguise our anxiety as some other emotion. And identifying what that is for you can be very helpful. How does anxiety show up for you? For some of us, it might be that classic fear response, a tightness in the chest, elevated heart rate, rapid breathing, and urge to take flight. For others, it may show up as anger, an urge to fight. Yet others, it can show up as numbness, an inability to feel, which can be incapacitating, like being stuck or frozen. Now, family systems theory says that we also translate these unconscious patterns into ways of interacting with each other within our family or church system, and that once again, this largely goes on outside of our awareness. So, There are three major styles to know about. One is conflict. We fight. We argue, blame, and criticize others. Number two is distance. We emotionally take flight. We distance ourselves from others and avoid uncomfortable yet important topics. And then finally, three, fusion. 
a freeze response in which people get stuck in patterns where some people in a system overfunction, taking on most of the responsibilities, decisions, and activities required to maintain that system, while other folks underfunction, abdicating all of these responsibilities. By knowing ourselves and our patterns, we can interrupt anxiety and our unconscious responses to it. I want to close by inviting you in these stressful times to inoculate yourself a little bit against anxiety and give yourself a way to lower it when it does come by finding one or more spiritual practices that work for you. Now, the very term spiritual practice can cause anxiety sometimes because we think it necessarily has to do with the religious or it has to be very onerous like extended meditation every day or lengthy journaling. It doesn't have to be that way, though. It can be anything from walks in nature to photography to knitting to gardening, cooking, singing, dancing, making music, writing, creating art, taking moments to cuddle with our loved ones, be they humid or, uh, human or of the four-legged furry variety. Humor and play help a lot, too. Whatever is calming for you, whatever brings you back to center and that you can commit to doing on a regular schedule. A spiritual practice can be quite simple and yet quite effective. Sometimes if I'm having a long or difficult day during the work week here at church, I come in here. I sit alone in the sanctuary for just a few minutes and let the Echoes of the sacred things that happen in here when we worship together in this space on Sundays flow over me. And my breathing slows. And my thoughts stop racing. And my emotions find calmness. And my heart begins to soar. And I'm able to know again that which I hold most important. I experience again that which is larger than me, but of which I am a part. That which is sacred washes over me again in that quiet stillness. Where do you find that stillness? What brings you that calm What slows your breathing even as your heart soars? My friends, stress and anxiety do not survive our encounters with the sacred. Amen. Now please say with me our words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Now as we go out into our world, may the covenant that binds us together dwell in your heart and nourish your days. May the mission that we share inspire your thoughts and light your way. May the spirit of this beloved community go with you Until next, we are gathered again. May the congregation say amen and blessed be. Go in peace.
This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.